Last time on Apocalypse Soon. I'm not going to sign this, said Charlie. You have until Monday. I don't have until shit. Bruce shrugged again. Then I'll be back on Monday with some hardcore enforcers and we'll force you out. He wants avocado toast. I want avocado toast. Let's get avocado toast. And the enforcer that was at the point swung out his rifle, leveled the gun, took aim, and shot Marley in the head. Her departure into the world of dreams had always been marked with a single word of sleep talk. Tonight, she murmured, Rego. Hi, I'm Abel Doe, and welcome to Paradise Future. This is Episode 10, Apocalypse Soon, Part 3. The dreams let go of his mind like a soft goodbye. He didn't beg for a chance to prolong the peace. He accepted it, and he opened his eyes to the morning, and he was glad for his rest. It was still dark. He rose from his covers as easily as a young man rising to the call. The dog that slept beside him growled its annoyance. He knew better than to pet it. He knew better than to scold it. He knew that the dog was like an old man in a nursing home, prickly and unpleasant and overconfident in the belief that he made his own rules. As sour as the dog was, he never went through with abandoning it. It was, after all, a companion, albeit a crotchety one. He jumped up into a makeshift yoga routine, a routine that he had gleaned from a fallen book at the library. It had since evolved to accommodate the various aches in his body. They weren't bad aches, the kind you would bemoan after spending hours hunched over a computer screen. They were good aches, the kind that when stretched and massaged, oozed waves of warmth and dopamine. He was able to touch his toes. In fact, he could even bend over and lay the flat of his palms on the floor. He could touch his head to his knees. He could touch his fingers behind his back and he was even close to doing the splits. He continued his morning routine in the dark. He went to the living room and brushed his teeth over the kitchen sink with a paste of baking soda. He inspected the plants of chamomile, lavender and jasmine. He plunged his nose into the bouquet and felt the leaves and said, soon. He boiled a pot of water with a camp stove that was connected to a biogas digester on the balcony. He brewed a tea from his dwindling stock of puar. He made a breakfast of sprouted mung beans, horse grams, and soybeans. And he sat on the couch that had been turned away from the wall to face the sliding glass doors of the balcony. The dog wandered in from the bedroom, jumped onto the couch, and snuggled its head into his lap, a bit too close to his crotch. He caressed the dog's head, but the dog bared his fangs and let out a dull growl that vibrated against his penis, and he drew back his hand. He peered through the windows of his 23rd story terrarium, 
and the remains of this city peered back. A dormant growth of boxes that sprawled into the horizon with sporadic black shoots that rose up from the blocky detritus and into the mist of stars that blanketed the sky. The silhouette of buildings cut into the horizon like a wall of crooked teeth, and from his vantage point on the couch on the 23rd floor, he felt like he was falling down the throat of a great mechanical whale as it spread open its maw to swallow whole the glittering universe of luminescent gas. It made him feel small, but only for a moment. For at the eastern edge of the world, a shroud of orange and indigo emerged to blow away the blanket of stars. Light crept over the horizon, over the wall of buildings, shooting across the sprawl, in through the windows and into the living room, painting all the corners with a soft blue hue. It was very much a terrarium. Every corner was occupied by some living thing. There were plants of shiso, mint, coriander and Thai basil. There were jalapenos, Thai chilies, Korean chilies and habaneros. There were cabbages, carrots, lettuces, broccolis and daikon all kept on neat, multi-layered rows of interlinked PVC pipe. Water trickled through the levels to be collected at the bottom by a reservoir filled with catfish. Solar-powered pumps whirred to circulate the water, and the system was enriched with life. Charlie Van Nguyen was dragged back to consciousness by a loud screech. A dull squeal like the sound of moving furniture, underscored with the sound of scratching nails. In an attempt to grasp at the shreds of a wonderful dream, he clenched his eyes and pushed his face deep into his pillow. But the scraping continued. And when the headache of oversleep grew until it was no longer bearable, he opened his eyes. The world was burning. A thick haze of smoke choked the sliding glass doors, and it glowed a bright orange-red. The ominous glow had no effect on Charlie. He was indifferent. He merely rubbed his eyes and pulled himself out of bed and lumbered towards the real problem, that incessant scraping. On his way, he failed to notice Harriet's empty side of the bed the empty space that once held her bedside table, the empty ensuite bathroom that was home to her clutter of skincare products, and the empty closets that held all of her shopping. He stepped through the stray pieces of socks and rubbish and stood in the bedroom doorway. There was Harriet, in the hall, bent over and struggling with her makeup table. Just behind her was the dog, Gary, pacing left and right, scritch-scratching his nails across the laminate floors. What are you doing? yawned Charlie. Harriet jumped at the sound of his voice, and when she turned around, she looked very guilty. Oh, you're awake, said Harriet. What's going on? said Charlie. Harriet tried her best to cover up the table. She took off her bag and placed it on top, as if it were a casual hallway buffet. But it was a makeup table. Then she stood blinking, unsure of what to say until she blurted out, Coffee? 
and she darted towards the kitchen. The dog followed her, and the pace of his tip-taps increased as he scrambled with excitement. Charlie dawdled behind, rubbing the sleep from his eyes. Harriet turned on the Breville Barista Express, and the machine clunked, chugged, and whirred as it pumped water through its boiler. How about some eggs? shouted Harriet over the sound of the coffee machine. You like my eggs? How about some eggs? Charlie reeled at the volume. It was much too early for such a racket. But before he could reply, she was already rummaging through the kitchen, clanging pans and banging doors. Charlie took a seat on a stool at the kitchen island. The dregs of sleep still clouded his mind, and last night's bottle of wine began to rear its ugly head with a pounding headache. He patted his pockets and a mild jolt of anxiety went through his chest. He had forgotten his phone in the bedroom. He had nothing to quell his boredom. Charlie Van Nguyen knew better than to go back and get it. The thought of him scrolling through his phone whilst Harriet cooked breakfast sent another greater jolt of anxiety through his chest. So he sat and watched. Harriet danced around the kitchen with an effortless grace. She brought out eggs and pâté and chili and Vietnamese baguettes. She flicked on the toaster oven. She lit the gas stove. She arranged the frying pan and drizzled the oil. It was as if she had an internal timer ticking away inside of her. She knew the exact moment the toaster oven had finished its preheat and she stepped over and threw in a baguette. She knew the exact moment the coffee machine had reached temperature and she stepped to the side and poured the boiling water and ground the beans and tamped a grind and extracted the coffee. She knew the exact moment the pan and the oil began to smoke and she stepped back to the stove and she cracked the eggs into the sputtering oil with a single hand. And as she spooned the hot oil over the eggs, she knew the exact moment the bread had achieved perfect crispiness and pulled it out from the oven. When she was finished, she had made his favourite. Bun mi op la, fluffy Vietnamese bread with a crust that crackled like a thin sheet of glass. Crispy fried eggs with a runny yolk, drizzled with soy sauce, topped with slices of chilli, and a side of fresh chicken liver pâté, all to be washed down with a steaming cup of rich black coffee. Harriet laid it before him, and Charlie took a soulful sip of coffee. He tore off a chunk of bread, spread on a thick layer of pâté, he broke the yolks with the bread and swirled the yellow goo around in the soy sauce and he took a bite. He allowed himself this delicate ritual and he saved it just for a moment before inhaling it all with huge gnashing bites and gurgling slurps. Harriet watched him with great discomfort and when he swallowed the final fist of bread, eggs, pate and coffee, she blurted it out. I'm breaking up with you, said Harriet. What? said Charlie, as he wiped away the yolky soy sauce concoction from his lips with the back of his hand. He felt his stomach turn. Charlie, I'm breaking up with you, said Harriet. Charlie searched her face to find the humour, but she was serious, and his stomach turned again. Charlie, said Harriet, I'm breaking up with and before she could finish, Charlie's stomach let out a violent grumble, 
and the gnashed up eggs and the pate and the mush of bread and the milky brown soup of yolk, soy sauce and coffee came tumbling up his throat and out his mouth and onto the breakfast plate. It made a splat. Oh God, said Harriet. Her sudden outburst triggered the dog and it began to yip and growl. Chunky bits of food slid down Charlie's chin and a combination of sad tears and vomit tears leaked from his eyes. You're breaking up with me? spluttered Charlie. And when he said it himself, it brought up a second wave of puke. Oh, God, said Harriet. Charlie, stop! The dog was triggered even further, and the yips turned into barks. I can't help it, stopped Charlie. Harriet gave an exasperated sigh. She knelt down and calmed down the dog, and his barks turned into anxious grunts. She stood back up and took a look at Charlie, and she sighed again, and her disgust was replaced with concern. Are you okay? said Harriet. Yeah. She ripped up a handful of paper towels and fetched a glass of water. But as she was about to clean him up, she stopped herself. You know what? I'm not doing this. I'm not, said Harriet and she laid the towels and water on the table. Charlie, I'm breaking up with you. Charlie gagged again, but this time nothing came up. Will you keep it together? said Harriet. You don't love me anymore? said Charlie. It took her a moment, but she answered. <sighs> I still care about you. I do. It's been six years, six long years. I'd be heartless if I didn't still care about you. But you don't love me? said Charlie. It's not that, it's just, look, you know as well as I do, this was never end of the world love, you know that. This was sign a long-term lease love, get married, have two kids, and a shitty divorce love, you know that. It was never end of the world love. It was for me, said Charlie. Come on, Charlie, come on, be real, said Harriet. It was, said Charlie. Well, I'm sorry, I, I didn't, I didn't know. I'm sorry if you feel that way but I don't. And you know, it just shows you why we shouldn't be together. We have communication problems, said Harriet. What? said Charlie. I say I love you, you say I love you. How, how is that a communication problem? It's not that. It's that you don't listen, Charlie. You don't listen, said Harriet. I'm sorry, all right? I'm sorry I misinterpreted words as simple as I love you. Fuck me for thinking otherwise, right? Fuck me for being a simp, right? said Charlie. No, Jesus, will you calm down? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about listening in general, said Harriet. Ah, groaned Charlie. Again and again and again and again and again and again. The same old shit again and again. I listen. I'm listening to you now. Whenever you have a bad day, I listen. Whenever you tell me to do something, I listen. I'm not talking about that, said Harriet. And it's not like you're perfect either said Charlie. You don't exactly listen as well. When? said Harriet. I don't know when, started Charlie. I don't keep count. It's not like I fucking write it down in my diary. Dear diary, Harriet didn't listen to me today. No! I just ignore it and get on with it. Unlike you, you have to point out my flaws every single day. Harriet balked. The anger started at her toes. It sprawled up into her belly and ballooned up into her mouth. That's the point. I don't want to... 
Parrot was ready to go on a tirade, but she slapped a hand over her mouth. She took a deep breath and shook her head. The point... The point isn't who didn't listen. The point is that we both don't listen. That's what I'm saying. You don't listen and I don't listen. We don't understand each other and we yell at each other. I don't want to do that anymore. But we can fix it, right? Said Charlie. It's not just the listening, said Harriet. There's so many other things as well. But we can fix it, said Charlie. You know what the problems are. So that means we can fix it. Harriet gave Charlie an incredulous said look. Said Charlie. Then she shook her head and wiped it away from her face. Charlie, said Harriet. I don't want to spend the rest of my life trying to fix this. What are we going to do? Go to couples therapy whilst meteors fall from the sky? I thought it was the core. Whatever it is, I don't want to be doing this, said Harriet, making a frustrated gesture about the two of them. Whenever whatever's supposed to happen, happens. But I don't. I don't get it, said Charlie. There isn't much to get, said Harriet. Why would you want to be alone in the middle of this? said Charlie. I don't want to be alone. I just want to be happy, said Harriet. Then, then, then I can fix it. I'll fix myself, said Charlie. Harriet scoffed. What's that supposed to mean, said Charlie. You know what it means, said Harriet. No, what's that supposed to mean, said Charlie. Don't make me say it, Charlie, said Harriet. No, what's that supposed to mean? You know what it means. Don't make me say it. What's that supposed to mean? What's it supposed to mean? What do you mean? You're a loser, all right? Snapped Harriet. Ugh, I didn't want to be a bitch, but you made me be a bitch. You're a loser, Charlie. A loser. You weren't always one, but now you're, you're a loser. You've been a loser for the last two years. You don't want anything anymore. You don't do anything anymore. You don't try to improve anything anymore. We used to want things together. We used to want to get married and have kids and buy a house. But now I'm, I'm fucking, I'm fucking, I'm fucking dragging you around with me. The words hurt, but Charlie took them on like a man that understood the truth. He slumped down in his chair and felt the rolls around his belly. There was never a point for all that before. What's the point of all that now then? I don't know, said Harriet. I just know that I want somebody that wants something more, even if it's pointless. Charlie grabbed the scrunched up paper towel on the kitchen island. He wiped the tears from his eyes, then he wiped the spicy vomit from his mouth. Then he wiped his eyes again. They were both silent for a moment, until Charlie screamed. Ah! Don't be so dramatic, said Harriet. No, it's not that, said Charlie. Got chilly in my bloody eye. Oh shit, said Harriet, and she grabbed the soy milk from the fridge and a bunch of paper towels. Yeah, let me see. Charlie tilted his face and the skin around his eyes had gone a fast red. Harriet took care of him. She carefully folded a pad of paper towels, soaked it with water, and wiped his eyes and his face clean, pushing down and away with the strength of a grandma, making sure to grab the gunk from his eyes and the snot from his nose. She folded another pad of paper towels, soaked it with soy milk, and wiped his eye. The soy milk dribbled down his cheeks like white tears and into the corners of his mouth. Charlie gagged. 
No, and pushed her away. What? said Harriet. What's wrong? It's sour. Fuck, sorry. No, it's all right. Charlie got up and Harriet guided him to the sink and he splashed his face and rinsed his mouth. He still couldn't open his eyes and even in his state of spicy blindness, he pushed her away and poured his way to the bedroom. Let me help, said Harriet. No, it's okay, said Charlie. Just leave me alone. Charlie found his way, dragging a hand along the wall. He navigated the little twist and turn that went into the bedroom and around the closet and collapsed back onto the bed. Honey, called Harriet from the kitchen. Don't wear those clothes back to bed. I don't care, said Charlie. Charlie hoped to fall back asleep, but after some moments of silence, the racket of scraping and tip-taps resumed. It continued for twenty minutes. The spiciness faded from his eyes, but a dull ache had emerged in his chest. Then the scraping stopped, and he heard her soft footsteps and the annoying tip-taps of the dog enter the bedroom. She tapped him on the shoulder, and for a moment his heart leapt out of his chest. Maybe she had come to her senses. Maybe she had changed her mind. Maybe they're going to spend their last days together, fixing their problems, then giving up, then tolerating the gulf of silence between them as they sat on the couch, scrolling through their phones with the TV on in the background. But when he opened his eyes, her face was not hopeful. Can you help me with the makeup table? said Harriet. Without a word, Charlie got up and helped her. They made a bad team. Charlie had ideas that he enacted, but he kept the details to himself. Harriet spilled with instruction that Charlie could not understand. They grew frustrated and their voices were barbed with anger. Eventually, they were able to maneuver the table out of the hallway, out of their apartment, into the elevator, across the car park, and to the car. A 13-year-old Hyundai Ionic. But once they got there, they realized there wasn't enough room. It was already filled to the brim with garbage bags full of clothes. Charlie jumped into action and did more man things, pulling things out and rearranging them without telling anybody what he was doing. Harriet stood to the side and yelled instructions that Charlie could not understand, and they both got even more frustrated. In the end, Harriet chose to leave the table behind abandoned between the bollard and the wall of her underground car space. I'll come back for it later, she said. And Charlie Van Nguyen watched her go, standing in the empty car spot with its puddle of oil at the center and the IKEA makeup table against the wall. He watched her car do the loop through the car park. He watched her wait at the boom gates that segregated the residents from the visitors. He watched as she drove over to the automatic sensor at the bottom of the driveway incline. He watched as she waited for the garage door to open, and he watched her leave. Charlie Van Nguyen stood in the empty car space for a long time, his mind awash with a hundred chattering thoughts about work and money and rent and food and Harriet. When the thoughts grew too uncomfortable, he rushed upstairs back to the apartment to suffocate them with TV, iPad, phone and Nintendo Switch. But when he got back to the apartment, it was then that he realized that she had not only left him behind, but she had left behind the dog as well.
am Abel Doe, and thanks for listening to Paradise Future. Paradise Future is an independent production. Everything you hear has been written, recorded, produced, and composed by myself, with the occasional help from Jesse Newen, a composer from Southwest Sydney. If you liked what you heard and want to support the show, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash Abledo, A-B-E-L-D-O. You can follow me on Instagram or Facebook at Paradise Future Podcast. You can also check out Jesse Newen on Instagram at J-D-K-N-E-W-I-N, J-D Newen. And you can check out the website at www.paradisefuturepodcast.com. Anyway, thanks for listening and have a good one.